1: And waiting patiently, Nathan McIntyre Wallace, educator, researcher and parenting commentator, the founder of X Factor Education. Today we're discussing New Zealand education policy and how consistent or otherwise it is with internationally recognised research. Nathan, good morning. Kia ora Catherine, how are you? Really good, thanks. Now what are you looking at? Are we looking at national standards? Are we looking at classroom sizes? Are we looking at all <laughs> looking sorts at, of
0: things? Yeah, looking at all of that really. Well, one of the, when I present research to people, you know that's what I do for a job, the most common question people say to me is, well if that's what the research says, why don't we do it? So I think there's this perception that um, New Zealand implements child development research and educational research. And so I thought, well, that'd be good to address, to let people know there are countries that do that, but New Zealand's not really one of them.
1: Shall we start with the... um, Will you tell me what you think the most prominent is? Obviously, there was a lot of debate around this with the amount of testing going on in schools at all levels, actually, but particularly in primary uh, schools now. Is that something that's part of your list?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we're seeing happening in early childhood centres now, too, that top-down push to um, sort of get kids ready to be seven, I talk about. Um... But, yeah, just, just teaching to a test, the national standards, having a, you know, internationally, right across all of the literature, it's very clear that that's a very low-quality curriculum.
1: Explain why, and, and we know some of the headline things, kids not... Uh, Kids not learning in a linear fashion, but what is it about the research that says less is better in assessing at that early stage?
0: Um, Because basically we're not teaching them how to learn. We tend to think that learning is about producing the answers. So saying, you know, this colour's blue and two times two is four. Whereas beneath that, I mean that's your cortex in your brain, beneath that is your limbic system. And that's where you're in an early child basically. Between two and seven, you're largely in that social-emotional part of the brain. Um, So a simple way of saying that is you need to learn how to learn before you just start spouting off answers. And if you skip the early childhood sort of two to seven how to learn, you really focus on tests and getting them ready to pass the tests and to know their literacy and numeracy, then kids miss out on knowing how to learn.
1: That learning phase we've talked about is so critical in that I've never forgotten the words you've used, your uh, concept of yourself as a learner, absolutely yep. pivotal. But by the time you are at primary, five, six, seven, eight, um, yep. what are the issues there even with having testing in certain areas? Mm-hmm. And how um, uh, if, efficacious is it in detecting what I presume you would want to detect, which is whether some kind of intervention might be needed?
0: Absolutely, I mean that's the ultimate goal: early intervention. When you see a problem, the earlier you get in, uh, the you know the easier you solve the problem. But you don't want to sacrifice the whole curriculum in order to find those um, to find those problems. So even when they're seven, eight, and nine, having a curriculum that is not led by child development research, but is led by we need to pass the test. Our funding is going to be based on. Um, you know, how many of us, our kids, pass the test. Your promotion as a teacher will be based on how many of your children pass the test. Something's got to go. So that's why you've seen in New Zealand, you know, um, you know, we focus on science and maths and literacy and numeracy. You don't see a huge emphasis on music. You don't see a huge emphasis on the arts in school anymore because people are getting ready for the tests. And yet when we look internationally at all the research, clearly the countries that lead all the educational, you know, tables of achievement are the countries that have a holistic curriculum, that focus on both left and right brain activities.
1: All right, I'm interested in your response just speaking of that about the latest move now to allow some children who are within eight weeks of their fifth birthday to start school. Mm-hmm. Uh, which might, will make some of them still four uh, yep. and the argument is and again the education minister the new education minister was citing international research that there is a strength in cohort starting school together uh, yes. is there an argument in that
0: I, th- I would agree with the idea of the children starting school together the part I would object to is starting at the age of four you know that's what goes against the international trends um, You know, school has traditionally started at 6 in most of the Western world. I'm often saying to people our whole educational system is based on Piaget. You know, why do we finish school at 18? Who decided that? Why not 25? Why not 15? It was Piaget's stage as a cognitive development. Um, Why do we start school at 6? Because Piaget said you reach the concrete operational stage at 7, so you're ready for literacy and numeracy. You start school at 6, so that you've got one year to get used to that, to develop the social-emotional skills, to feel confident as a learner, to establish relationships with your teacher, so that at seven, when your brain is ideally suited for that more cognitive style of learning, literacy, numeracy, um, you're ready for it. It was only during the war that we lowered the school starting age to five, and then you know all the other countries did that as well, but they put it back to six after the war. So even when the kids start at five and they spend a year not really focused on tests and just learning to be at school, that's still asking them to do things a year earlier than all the international research so now to go even further backwards and have children who are four starting school I mean it, I know there are some individuals that would benefit from that I mean, when you look at the research around we've talked about the importance of firstborns we've talked about how girls brains grow faster than boys so probably there are firstborn girls that might benefit from being at school a few weeks before five but it's dubious for the rest of the population
1: why did they come back to five during the war years?
0: Um, just basically because the women were away doing all the men's yeah. jobs. Um, and so, yeah, they needed a childcare shortage.
1: And, you know, that can be a factor today with the pressure on families for, um, for people to be working and, and, and working long hours. And that's,
0: that's my point, Catherine. I think that's why it's happening. It's an economic decision. It's not a decision based on child development research or child development outcomes. It's something based on, you know, free childcare so both the parents can be at work. It's better for the economy.
1: The other matter is also, and some of the principals who didn't object to it said, let's just be honest, this is also an administ- administratively much easier for the schools, but let's call it that and not pretend it's anything else.
0: Yeah, but I don't, like I say, I don't disagree with the part of starting the children in cohorts. I can see that as a strength. I can see you starting with your other mates from kindy and knowing that for the whole sort of few terms beforehand that all eight of you are going to be starting together. I can absolutely support that. I would have just put them on the side of being after five closer to six rather than lowering it to under five.
1: Come back then to what is happening even at preschool and again um, you were talking about that two to four age group and just play, Uh, just let them discover the learning, it's not you telling them what to learn or how to think or what a colour is or what this is or that is.
0: We want to scaffold that play. You don't just want the teacher to be completely passive and let the children play by themselves because there's a danger, it gets repetitive. But the idea is the children lead the play and it's their initiation and their choice and a teacher scaffolds that or enhances that, enriches the play.
1: So then we get to where other conversations have been had, which is whether we're getting too formalised in some of that pre-school... Education, even to use the word, but that preschool period. So that Mm -hmm. last transition, that last period between four and five and getting ready for school, what does the research say about how we should be structuring that and are we structuring it that way?
0: Well, we've got to remember the research says when you're transitioning to school, all of the international research thinks you're going to be six. So you have to take that into consideration. Just because we pass a law that says they're starting at five instead of six doesn't mean their brains are developmentally now at that stage. So we're in the weird situation where if you were following the international research you would follow the early childhood curriculum right up until the age of six to seven. Um, So when we say that four to five-year-old getting ready for school there is no research that says he's supposed to be getting ready for school that he's supposed to be sitting on a mat for 10 minutes or has to know this much of the alphabet or has to know this much of the numbers those are seven-year-old behaviors.
1: And so if we're getting even more formalized at age four (laughs) Um. Yeah, that's
0: right. We're missing out on something. We're, we're missing out on the kid's real intelligence. That creativity, that depth of thinking, you know, um, yeah, cognitively plays about the most advanced thing the child can do. And if you skip that and go straight to producing answers, it's not going to... I mean, look at Finland, for example. They get lots of international attention because they're top of the, all the league tables for how well they do educationally. Those kids go to school for 20 hours a week, including lunchtime. They, have, um, they don't believe in homework, so the kids might have 10 minutes homework. They have the s- shortest academic school year in the world, and they're the top of all the um, league tables, you know, the top of all the um, outcome tables. Can that
1: be tested also against everything else they've got going on, which is high tax rates and a lot of... Uh, I, I would love to know what their childcare um, allowances are, because is this multifactoral?
0: I think it is, but they haven't always been that way. So I think the reason they're used as an example is because they were quite performing quite badly, you know, down sort of on par with America is what they're often compared to. Um, and they were already paying those taxes and things. So uh, the changes that they made were to reduce the amount of academic instruction and increase the amount of child centred, child initiated curriculum. T- to play more, you know, that their kids are learning climbing trees. they would not don't need to be sitting in a classroom being instructed by the teacher all the time.
1: The idea that you can or can't catch up, which is an issue, I know it's often an issue for parents deciding whether a child whose birthday might be either early in the year or very late, depending on how you look at it. Uh, And it's also an argument, I guess, for the cohort entry, not Mm -hmm. just the getting on with your mates and settling in together, but whether you have to catch up. Is that fact or fiction?
0: Um, I think that's very clear in the research. You can see that if your child goes through class being one of the eldest, um, he's at a huge advantage over going through class being one of the youngest. So if you've got two children who have exactly the same IQ, but one goes through school being the youngest in the class and the other one goes through school being the eldest, the one who goes through being the eldest will have a higher income and higher qualifications because he's going to be more confident. He's going to start to, because he clicks to things faster than everybody else, he starts to think, oh, I'm clever sort of the opposite when you're the youngest in the class you get the idea that you might be a bit slower than the average because you're one of the last to click
1: so parents who do think hey i am going to and there's a lot of pressure not to obviously because we have this tradition of five and the fifth birthday but parents who are going to and are able to to delay um their their child going to school perhaps even till nearer six are they going to deal with a perception that they're having to catch up
0: um possibly yeah because it is deeply embedded in our culture this idea that the earlier my kids get to seven the better a parent i was so we think that the you know the five-year-old that can count to 100 and knows his whole alphabet and knows his colors is cleverer than the kid who's only counting to 20 and calling every color blue but really when you research that there is no correlation with learning that stuff early and being successful at 32. the only way we can predict your outcomes under seven it's got nothing to do with those cognitive skills like reading and writing. It's got to do with your love of learning, your, what the literature calls your disposition towards yourself as a learner. Okay. So the simplest way I can say that, Catherine, is under seven, it doesn't really matter one iota how much you know. What matters under seven is how much, how clever you think you are.
1: What about reading, those early readers? In fact, the kids who go to school already mm-hmm. reading.
0: Uh, yep. Does that make Waste of any- time, no, waste of time. So um, in the literature, on average, that would plateau at eight. That means the kid that knows his alphabet and learns to read at three, four, and five, by the time he's eight, he's got the same reading age as the eight-year-old beside him who didn't start learning to read till seven. Really, most of that dissipates in the first year at school, any difference in cognitive skills. There are a small group of children that you can measure benefits from learning that early up until about the age of 11, but there's really no evidence that there's any benefits after 11. So, But we say eight on average because most of it disappears in the first year of school. But people's perception that you're helping your child to get ahead isn't really accurate. The learning
1: difficulties is another matter, and and detecting these early, and again, I'm sure this leads right back to your concept as a learner. But I do Mm -hmm. know there is some research happening, I think it is at Otago, so that if actual learning difficulties, not just learning differences, because they are different things. That's right. If if there's something up that will indeed in time uh, hopefully be identified, is, the, yes. is there a value in identifying that even as early as, say, four, as the so-called preschool Absolutely. Era? But Absolutely. is that because otherwise your concept as a learner could be imperiled as much as anything else?
0: Well, it's multifaceted, but yes, that as well. If you've got dyslexia and no one knows and you just think you're a bit slower than everybody else, then your concept is, uh, as a learner. But I wholeheartedly agree with the idea of inter- early intervention, that recognising things early on and addressing that early on can really help. Why does
1: it, when, as you say, at that point, your imagination uh, and you know what you think something is and and, uh, and 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 what story you make up about it, is as valuable as what the rest of the world has determined it is?
0: That's right, that's where innovation and creativity and invention comes from really that ability for humans to be creative and think outside the box yeah but and why would
1: the why would the early identification of a learning difficulty if that's if that's what matters at that stage, why would the yeah. early I- identification of a learning
0: difficulty be significant? because normally it's manifested a learning difficulty has prerequisites you know um there's the structures that go in place before the learning disability appears, so I mean, learning disability is such a wide concept, isn't it? There's lots of different types of learning difficulties. There's biologically determined ones, which just means if we detect that early, we can start to help them early. We can start to retrain the brain. We can start to compensate and learn different learning styles.
1: Understood. Okay. Mm -hmm. What else would you point to as being international
0: research that does not appear to be reflected in our education policy? Well, I'd say just about everything that Sir Peter Gluckman, the Chief Science Advisor to the Prime Minister, wrote to the Prime Minister in his report about why we have so many delinquent teenagers. You know, those have been ignored. The two major conclusions were what we've just talked about. Number one, we focus too much on cognitive skills in early childhood, and number two, we're too punitive. So we ignore all the international research around being punitive, and we continue to punish our teenagers. Even though our own research shows most of them come from um, traumatised backgrounds, foster care... Um, they're traumatised kids that we're punishing, and the research tells us that if you punish them, there's way more chance they'll go to jail. If you help them, there's way less chance they'll go to jail. But New Zealand still chooses over and over again to punish them.
1: Punish in what form? Because there's no uh, well, for corporal instance, punishment. Um, uh, well, not physically anyway anymore. Uh, what, 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 what 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 are the practices to which you would would point?
0: Um, locking them up in prison type environments, um, putting them into you know youth. Prisons, right? Um, that basically, if we've got a kid who's been in the foster care system, I mean, anyone that goes into a prison and says, "Put up your hands if you've been in the foster care system," is going to have a completely different perception of those prisoners because yes. you'll see all of those hands go up. So we've taken these abused children, um, had their needs neglected. As a teenager, uh, the research tells us. We could pay a foster parent $50,000 salary to focus exclusively on looking after that kid, wrap $30,000 worth of accountability and professional supports around them, and you'd be spending $80,000 and you've now got a research base that says there's a, up to a 75% chance that that child won't reoffend. But instead, New Zealand chooses to spend $99,000 on putting them into a prison environment as a teenager, which has a research base which says there's a seventy five to ninety five percent chance he will end up in prison as a result of that. But New Zealand would still rather spend ninety nine thousand on punishing him than eighty thousand on fixing him. If you tried to say to the average New Zealander we're gonna pay this delinquent teenager that's been spray painting the, the local dairy, we're gonna pay someone fifty grand to look after him, there'd be an uproar. They want him punished
1: takes us back to that earlier conversation I had with you, which had so much feedback, by the way, including from people who were caring for or were providing homes for life and others, which is that yes, you can fix what's broke, but you have to go back to what was missing. It was such a fascinating interview, Nathan. So kids who haven't had the physical comfort or all the yep. connection or all the stuff that you're supposed to get when you're one and two and three yep. even though they're older you have to find a means right. to go back and make that happen for them which and is not what often... you think of eh? you think you're de- no. you think you're dealing with a 14 year old i'm not gonna you yep. know he's not gonna be anywhere near him or her. she's not gonna be anywhere near her and yep. they probably indicate that they don't but you have to go back and fill the gaps
0: that are empty Yeah, they will often present those gaps though. You'll get a 14-year-old that doesn't want you to touch them and stay away and you're sucking all the fun out of my life and then they'll regress to a two-year-old who's crying and wants you to cuddle them. And traditionally what we thought was, no, that's infantising them, he needs to grow up. Whereas when you understand the neurosequential needs of the brain, just like you're saying, Catherine, we need to go back and meet that need if he presents it, he's got a need final point and
1: I, we probably don't need to discuss it, speaking of the, of the, of the um, secondary school system at the moment mm-hmm. um, when you've got school principals saying we've packed far too much into this there's too much assessment and we're putting our kids under too much stress uh, they're being pretty honest aren't they but I had a wonderful line from someone um, in response to a recent interview who said we're not letting our kids learn at high school, we're teaching them how to navigate an assessment system. <laughs> that's so true, it's, that's
0: very accurate. It's pretty much on the money isn't it? Yeah and it's being pushed right down the education system. We're seeing that with national standards, there's been a recent review of Tafarki, the early childhood curriculum, which has been considered the best early childhood curriculum in the world. Research-based, evidence-based, best practice. They've just reviewed it and put an overlay on it which frankly downgrades it and um Takes it out of line of the research and puts much more emphasis on directional teaching in early childhood and literacy and numeracy instruction. So it's not just high school; we're penetrating that through the whole education system.
1: I'm left thinking parents of voters, and in some ways, to parents need to look at themselves, mm-hmm. if because the politicians, we would we would like to think they follow the research and the best of them do, but they have to compromise that against the yep. the imperatives the of their job. And, yep, so do right. people themselves need to look at themselves and their assumptions? Uh, and perhaps create room for some innovation by, by leaders, by political leaders.
0: I think that's absolutely right. It's too easy just to diss the politicians and forget that they are our representatives. I say, if the, you know, when I talk about early years funding, the fact that we can define, you know, predict your outcomes by three, and so all the international research says invest in the early years. You know, that's what Scandinavian countries do. Um, but yeah, we just continue not to invest in those early years. In New Zealand. Sorry, I lost my whole point of what I was gonna say then. It's fine.
1: It never happens. Thank you. <laughs> Go well. Thanks very much, Nathan <laughs> McCoy Wallace.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.